0: I want to draw your attention to Philippians chapter 3. And we will continue on with this. We're going to look at verses 12 through 16. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. You know, the apostle Paul talked about his life. He says that uh, you know, that he could brag about his spiritual pedigree, that he was a, a Hebrew of Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin. As to the law, he was a Pharisee. As to righteousness under the law, he was blameless. He said, but whatever gain I had from all of that, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the sake of Christ. And I count them as rubbish. I want to be found in him not having a righteousness of my own. And in verse 10, he says that I may know him. The reason that he cast off all those things was one thing he wanted to do. He said, I want to know Jesus. And I want to know him better. Let me and so this is what leads into what we're going to read here with starting in verse twelve. He said, It's not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Well, on July the 10th, 1944, flags all over Dallas, Texas flew at half staff. The Dallas County Commissioner's Court even ordered that all offices be closed that day and that all county work cease at 3 p.m. that day so that the county employees could attend the funeral. And it was going to be a big one. You see, George Truitt, the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas for nearly 47 years, had passed away. And probably of all the men that you could think of in Dallas, Texas, he was the best known and by far the most respected. Even if you didn't like him, you respected him. He was going to have one of his best friends. It had already been arranged because he had had a lengthy illness. But one of his best friends, a pastor out of Georgia named Louis Newton, was going to come and give the funeral sermon. Now, at the funeral, Pastor Newton stated That on the day before, he he was at the Atlanta train station getting ready to board the train, and he did get on the train, and a porter on the train approached him. Now, for those of you who are too young to know what in the world a porter is on a train, this is what you had before you had airplanes and stewardesses, okay? Instead of having a pretty woman come and bring you, you know, coffee, tea, or whatever, You had some ugly old man come over and help you out. And he'd carry your baggage and do that type of thing. And he said this porter came up to him and asked the pastor. He said, are you going to Dallas to bury our great preacher? And he said that he was. And then the porter went on to say, he said, Dr. Truett never rode on this train that I did not feel like I was deeply honored if I could just so much as shine his shoes or if I could so much as help him off the train or on the train. He was the greatest man I ever saw in all the world. A little bit later, Pastor Newton asked the porter, you know, what, why did he think that Truett was such a great man? What made him that way? And the porter didn't have to think too long. He said, Mr. Newton, I'll tell you why he was such a good man. He had the love of God in his heart as no man I ever saw. He could speak to me and he could speak to me about God with all the interest and care and power that one of my own race would have spoken to me in. Now, you know that takes the love of God. Well, then Newton at the funeral challenged the audience. He said, trace it if you will. Trace the course of your great pastor and answer me this question. Is not the secret of his influence in Dallas and in Texas and in the South and all over the nation and even to the ends of the earth. is not that based on the fact that he embodied the love of God as few men have ever embodied it. Newton based his sermon on two of George Truett's favorite passages. One of them, well, he had taken it from the Lord's Prayer. And it was just a phrase, thy will be done. And that was the way he accepted God's will, thy will be done. And the other one he took from Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. Once again, just a phrase. And it was this, that I may know him. In other words, what he was saying is this, I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know what it means to, uh, uh, I, I want to, to know the power of his resurrection. I want to share his sufferings. I want to become like him in death. The driving force in George Truett's life was to know Jesus Christ. That was what he was after. To know Jesus Christ is to know about him course but there's more to it than that to know jesus christ is to reflect his glory and to reflect his character to know jesus christ is have a, is to have a relationship with him to know to know jesus christ is to be enriched by him knowing jesus christ transforms us you can't know him without him changing you to know jesus christ means that we begin to reflect his character And to know Jesus Christ, we must make it our chief goal in life to be like him. Folks, let me ask you, isn't it true that God's purpose for us is to be conformed to the image of his sons, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren? I think so. And if that is so for us, if the God's purpose for us is to be conformed to the image of his son should not our goal be the same is not that our calling and should not that be our pursuit while we're here in this life we're going to talk about a pursuit and it's a pursuit of certainty and when he talks about uh, he said uh, in verse uh, Verse 10 and 11, it says, That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Listen, the Apostle Paul here does not pursue in order to make it to heaven someday. Just hoping by hook or by crook he's going to make it there. He's not scratching his head saying, I'm wondering if I'm going to go to heaven or I think I have eternal life. That's not it at all. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul has no uncertainty about his salvation. And if you have been saved by the grace of God in Jesus Christ, you shouldn't have any uncertainty about it either. As a matter of fact, what he says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he says in there, he says that, uh, he said, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If Jesus has done a, a work in you and has done a good work in you, you can rest assured that he is going to finish it. Jesus doesn't start something and then not finish it. And if he started a work in you... He is doing a work in you and he will complete that. He has no, uh, we need to have no uncertainty about what the future holds for us if we are God's children. What the future holds for us is complete salvation. Not only do we read about a pursuit of certainty, we read about an ongoing and and constant pursuit. Some people may read this passage in here that we just read, verses 12 through 16. And, and notice that the word perfect is there in verse 12. And then, if you have a King James version, it is referring to those who are perfect in verse 15. The idea behind perfection right here has primarily to do with maturity, it does not necessarily have to do with anything that we would call sinlessness. There is no hint of sinless perfection here in this passage. Have, now, I hope there's nobody here who thinks that you can attain sinlessness or that you can become perfect in this life. Have you, I've known some people that thought that they could. Really. I mean, they thought that they had quit sinning. If you think that you have quit sinning, you need to talk to your husband or your wife. <laughs> okay? And they'll tell you the truth. You know, there was a really good book that I read several years ago on holiness. And it was, it was an excellent book. And I would still recommend it. Except for the chapter that says that you can finally come to the point where you become so holy that you just don't sin anymore. Well, I hate to tell you this, but that's just not right. And it doesn't even accord with what the scripture has to say. You know, you can read about this in, in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. And where it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. And then it says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what what we shall be and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as He is pure. In other words, when is it going to be that we reach what God's ultimate goal is for us? We're not going to reach it down here because it does not yet appear what we shall be. You are not going to be perfect until you move into the presence of Jesus Christ, either by death or through his coming. When that happens, perfection will arise. Arrive. Not, well, it will arise too. <laughs> <laughs> but remember this. We live in a dark and sinful world. And we came out of this dark and sinful world to follow Jesus Christ. It is not until we blow this joint that we are going to be perfect. Understand that. As a matter of fact, what we are engaged in right now in this pursuit, it's a pursuit that is not going to end and we're not going to get to the finish line until God calls us to our final home. And until then, what we're supposed to be doing is we're supposed to keep growing, keep maturing, Keep becoming more and more uh, conformed to the image of Christ. You look in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It's just a little verse there at the, just about at the end of the letter. It tells us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in the way that it's put by Peter, what is implied is this. You keep growing. <laughs> And you keep growing and becoming more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You are not going to make it until you go into his presence. You know, I know that sometimes we may think that, well, if I could just get to that point, you know, I'm going to quit sinning. You know, uh, whenever we lived in Central Texas, one time uh, my wife and and daughter, we went to... uh, uh, a state park there around Lano, and there's this big gr- red granite hill there, or they call it mountain, and uh, and we just we were going to climb to the top of it, and we were down there at the bottom, and we could see where the top was, and so we went up there, and we got there, and once we got there, we looked and said, well, no, there's more of it, and so we we went up that, thinking we were going to the top, and we got there. And we, then that's when we found out there were still more to go, and we kept on going. And we kept on going until we got to thinking this isn't going to end, and we finally stopped and came back down. Really, that's kind of the way it is in our Christian life, isn't it? You can just say, well, you know, if I could just deal with this problem I have with just cussing. You know, if my wife could deal with her problem about cussing, you know, we, we, would, be, we would be perfect. You know, we would, that's, that's what we need to do. Or if I would quit watching these dirty movies on TV, you know, I, I, I would be able to say, okay, I've, I've conquered all the sin in my life. But you'll get there and you'll find out that there's still more to go. Now, God is patient with us and God is working with us. And God is going to enable us to grow. That's the way it is. Remember, when you begin to follow Christ, you began an ongoing pursuit and a constant pursuit. Then this is also a reasonable pursuit. I I like this in verse 12. I, I really do where it says, it's not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but he says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You know when Paul turned to Jesus Christ. He was going down the Damascus road with some helpers and they had their shackles and all of that type of stuff and they were gonna go into Damascus and they were gonna get Christians and they were gonna drag them back and do no telling what all to them. But he didn't make it into Damascus like he thought he was going to. Jesus Christ stopped him. Jesus Christ appeared to him on the way to Damascus And his life was never the same again. Let me tell you something. Paul was not headed to Damascus in order to meet Jesus. (laughs) But he met him. And it wasn't his idea. (laughs) It wasn't what he had on his schedule for that day. But Jesus interrupted his life. In other words, Jesus took the first step. That may be the same with you. Maybe Some of you are here and you may have uh, become a Christian with almost a Damascus Road type experience. In other words, whenever I was a sophomore in college, I was just minding my own business, driving back to the dormitory when Jesus interrupted me. And it was, it was a pretty big interruption because that was, Jesus was about the last person I was looking for right then. And with was Paul, Jesus was the last person he was looking for. But Jesus called him and claimed him as his own. And his life was never the same again. And all those things that he counted as gain, he counted them as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Listen, it would be only reasonable that if Christ did that for him when and, and saved him whenever he was out to murder Christ's followers, that if Christ would do that for him, what should Paul do? Give him his whole life. (laughs) In other words, pursuing this goal that Jesus sets before us, I mean, it makes no sense not to do it. Think of what he's done for you. Think of how he has changed your life. Think of how he interrupted you and how he was looking for you before you ever thought about looking for him. You say, well, you know, I, I... I thought about, you know, Jesus Christ before. Well, yeah, but who gave you the thought? You see, there's no other response that we can give other than to follow him. And it's a focused pursuit. In other words, you look at one thing, and that is, he said, there's this one thing that I do. One thing that I do. And he said, I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to the future. You know, first of all, he says that uh, I, I forget about what lies behind. You know, I have preached off of this passage a bunch of times, and I've heard a lot of other preachers go on this passage, and in part where it says to, to forget about what lies behind. Uh, you know, one of the things that is involved in that is it's to say that you forget about the past. Some people will say that it's saying you just need to forget about the sins that you've committed and, uh, you know, and don't let those things drag you down. Well, that sounds nice and there may be something to it. But I'm going to tell you something. I really don't need, I don't know that we need to think about, that we need to forget about the things that we did that were wrong. The Apostle Paul never did. He brought it up more than once about being a persecutor of the church. And that was not something he bragged about. He was just saying that was how he was. I really think that what he's talking about here when he talks about the things that lie behind, he's talking about the accomplishments that he made before he met Christ. In other words, he had something to brag about. You know, a Hebrew of Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin. You know, as when it came to keeping the law, he did it perfectly. You know, he could brag about all of that, and he he talked about that. He said, but those things which I counted as gain, I now consider loss. He says, moreover, I count all of it as loss and consider it to be rubbish, trash. I forget about that. That's not who I am anymore. I am not going to, to focus on that. What I'm going to focus on Is instead of saying how good I can make Paul to look to everybody else, I want to focus on how much I can know about Jesus Christ. There's times that we have to just forget about the great how great we are and begin focusing on how great Jesus is. We shall never be satisfied. In order to be focused in this pursuit, we should not be satisfied with who we are, and we should not uh, ever be saying, "Well, I've done enough. I'm just about as good as I need to be," you know. uh, kind of like Chris Christopherson said whenever he claimed that he had been converted. And then he, someone questioned him about some of the things he was doing. He said, well, I can't, I can't be as good as Johnny Cash, much less Jesus Christ. You know, you know, that's not what it's about. And we should never just be satisfied with who we are and say, well, I've done this. I'm good enough in this part of my life. But I have another part of my life that I want to, you know, I want to fulfill and satisfy. Well, that's not the way that we're supposed to do it. You never are going to be satisfied. You're always going to say, there's a little bit farther that I need to go. And I want to keep growing and I want to keep doing that. And we need to do this because we're going to give it our all-out effort. If we want to follow Jesus Christ, there's only one way to do it. And that is to go at it as hard as you can. Put everything you've got into it. And you may be saying, well, now wait. Now, I, I thought we believed that we're saved by grace through faith and not of works. Well, this isn't talking about if this isn't talking about earning your salvation. Remember, effort is not opposed to grace. Earning is opposed to grace. But if you understand the grace of God, you want to put all of your effort into it. I remember, you know whenever I was whenever our daughter was in high school, she she ran track. And uh, I remember one year we were going to have a big district track meet in Cushing, Texas. And Cushing had a pretty good track team. And the, the gal that ran the last leg on the mile relay, she was about that tall. And she was the one that they pinned their hopes on. You know, that she she was going to be the one that would help them to win. Problem was, was she was recovering from a case of the flu. And they didn't even know if she was going to show up. But I saw her. She was showing up. And people were whispering, she's here. She's here. Anyway... And the race took off, and there was one of the high schools that they had these girls, and they looked like they were all six foot two, long-legged like thoroughbreds out there. And they took off, and they were leaving everybody behind, you know, one leg, another leg, another leg. And they they had a huge lead by the time that that little girl from Cushing got that baton and was gonna run the last leg, and I have never seen a little short girl run so fast in my life. It was like she lit the afterburners, and she took off, and she was was burning up the track. And in no time, I mean, before all of us with our eyes bugged out and our jaws open and seeing, and she ended up blowing past the, the girls that were in the lead. And she came across that finish line. But I'm going to tell you something. She wasn't strolling across that finish line. She was going as hard as she could. Why? Because she wanted to make it to the finish line. And she wanted to grab the the prize. That's what Paul is doing. He said, I am putting all of my effort into it. I'm looking at the mark. I'm looking at the finish line. I'm going to grab the prize. I want to be as much as I can for Jesus Christ. The question that we must ask ourselves is, do you know him? You know, I mean, really know him. And this is a question that is a question of life or death. It really is. In John chapter 17, we read a prayer that Jesus prayed the night that he was arrested. And this is what he said in one little line in that prayer. He says, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Christ Jesus whom you have sent. In other words, your future, your fate depends upon whether or not you know him. You know him, you have eternal life. You don't know him, you don't have life. I urge you to know Jesus Christ and to follow him and to run as hard as you can in doing it. He won't disappoint you. Let's pray. Now, our Father, oh Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, there have been too many times that we have failed to run the course. There've been too many times that we've strolled down the course instead of running at full blast. There've been too many times that we haven't wanted to let go of the past. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. And we thank you, Lord, for for those of us who, who know you. We thank you that you called upon us and you made us yours. We thank you for that. And, Lord, we thank you for the hope that lies ahead of us. Now, Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength, and we know that you can, that you would give us the strength to grow day by day to be more conformed to the image of your Son. Lord, give us all that hunger and that desire and that thirst to know him and to know the power of his resurrection. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.